Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. When a woman agrees to work with law enforcement, she has no idea she's about to tumble headfirst into a satanic conspiracy. And then we travel up to British Columbia to meet two men fishing on a lake. Everything was going according to plan until the aliens arrived. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. Hope you guys are having a great day too. We got a ton of stuff to cover, so we're going to get started right away. Let's go ahead and introduce our pilot for this episode, Nathaniel Williams. Woo, yeah, everyone, give him a big round of applause. This is somebody's first episode. They're like, what? Why are we clapping for people? Well, we're clapping for people because Nathaniel's awesome. Nathaniel sent me two books. He was flying the Carpenter Copter on Monday's episode for sending me a book by Robert Anton Wilson. It's an encyclopedia of conspiracies called Everything is Under Control. And then I wanted to give him another ride in the Carpenter Copter. He sent two books. He gets two rides. Passport to Magonia is what he sent me. This is a UFO classic book by Jacques Vallée. Um, huge. This is huge. I've never read it, actually. I'm, I'm familiar with his work. I've read articles from him. I've seen interviews with him, but I've never read this book. Nathaniel, thank you so much for sending this to me. Fantastic. He's the guy. I really agree with a lot of the stuff that Jacques Vallée says, that it's not necessarily extraterrestrial, but ultra-terrestrial. That these beings that we call aliens are from other dimensions. And he connects it into fey folklore and all that stuff. Can't wait to read this book. Nathaniel, thank you so much for sending this stuff to me. If you guys can't support the Patreon, if you guys can't buy me books, that's totally fine too. Just help spread the word about the show. That really, really helps out a lot. And if you do want to buy me a book, Amazon wishlist in the show notes, but you don't have to, right? I appreciate these gifts, but I just appreciate you taking time out to listen to this show. Nathaniel, let's go ahead and toss you the hair hang glider. We're going to leave behind Dead Rabbit Command. We're going to glide all the way out to Oklahoma. We cover a lot of gang stalking stuff on this show. I mean, over the course of 870 some odd episodes, it's not like it's not like we've had a gang stalking week. At least I don't think we have. Every time I do a gang stalking episode, I get an email or a YouTube comment or someone mentioning something on my TikTok, whatever, saying, "Is there any real examples of gang stalking?" I always get the same question. It's a good question, definitely. Because we look at these really outlandish gang stalking stories, and the answer is always the same. Yeah, like there actually are real life examples of people being gang stalked, stalked by a gang. Like literally, if you oh, gang stalking is the legal definition of it is three or more people tracking your movements. Like there actually is a term for it. So if you owe money to the mob, or if the police are looking for you. Those are all considered gang stalking. You know, it's not really like, you don't when, when the LAPD is trying to chase the suspect, you don't hear on the news, they're gang stalking this man. He just robbed the bank. But 
it does fit into that. Basically, it's an organized observation of you. With the gang-stalking community, they put a little added twist onto it, though. They, th- when they talk about gang-stalking and the gang-stalking subculture, it's a government or sometimes a corporate run. And sometimes it's even just local government, but the point is to drive you crazy. So instead of, like, black SUVs driving around your town because you've pissed off the Russian mob, and when they catch you... They're going to beat you up, right? That's what would happen in a real gang-stalking situation. In the quote-unquote gang-stalking world, it's every 10th yellow car that passes you on a Wednesday, that's the gang-stalker. And what happens is you notice it, and when you tell people about it, people don't believe you, and it makes you sound crazy. And they're slowly trying to drive you crazy. All these little weird things will happen, and maybe you go to pick up your cereal one day, and it seems like the bottom of the box is not glued together right, and cereal pours all over the floor. Hilarious, right? That's hilarious. They would attribute that to a gang stalker broke into their house, removed the glue, or even deployed some sort of glue-eating microbe into their house to eat the glue on the bottom of all their boxes. And it's simply to irritate you so much that you snap. So when we talk about gang stalking, when we talk about gang stalking generally in the world of conspiracy theories, we talk about that. We talk about the weird versions. People do get gang stalked all the time by law enforcement and by gangs. It happens quite often. I think you could argue that I think you could argue in most of our jobs we're gang stalked by middle management, right? There's three or more people observing what you're doing. But when we talk about, and people always ask that question, and it's a great question. Is there any real examples of gang stalking? Yes, that. So this is an interesting story because I came across this a while ago, and it fits right into the middle of those two things. Fits right into the middle of those two things. Now with gangs, it's interesting, with gang stalking stories, when I cover them, I didn't realize this until I was looking at this one. I assume that what they are telling me happened. I just don't think that there's a nefarious meaning behind it. So if someone says, I went and got my Cheerios and the bottom of the box fell out, I laugh, <laughs> I laugh, and then I go, oh, it must have just been the, the, the it wasn't glued right. I don't ever go, yeah, right, it didn't fall out. So when I do these gang stalking stories, I do believe that every Wednesday a yellow car happens to drive through his neighborhood. Cars drive through neighborhoods because they're going home. So I don't really quibble with them on what the stalking actions are generally. I quibble with them on what's causing them. This is such an interesting story, and it's the same thing. When I'm reading this, I go, I'm not denying that any of this stuff is happening, not even the beginning, which is why this fits right into the middle. Let's get started here. This was posted online. By someone going by the name Alice Isn't Mad. So we're going to call her Alice. And the information we do get from her, she does give out some information for someone who claims they're being gang stalked. Probably not the best idea, but Alice is 41 years old and she lives in Oklahoma. And she says she has been gang stalked for the past three years and she can point to the time period when, when it started. She said. What happened was she was going about her business and she was kidnapped. And then she escaped from her kidnappers and she lived in a state-funded safe house for six months. I I don't deny that that happened. I actually think that this might be the closest we get to a real gang stalking. People kidnapped her. Now, I said she was just going about living her life. 
generally, don't don't get mad if you're a kidnap victim, but generally, people, upstanding citizens just don't get kidnapped in the United States. That just doesn't happen. So, but you know, if you're like, yeah, if you run into trouble with the mafia, you run in trouble with your local meth dealer, there is a chance you will get kidnapped. There's a chance that I will get kidnapped. There's a chance that you will get kidnapped, but the chances are much, much smaller. So I don't know what led up to the kidnapping. I'm not blaming the victim. I'm not being like, it was your fault you got kidnapped. But what I'm saying is we don't know what circles she ran in to begin with. But I do believe, I'm not denying the fact, I don't think she's making this up. I I believe she was kidnapped by someone that she escaped from them and she lived in a state-funded safe house. I totally actually find that believable because that type of stuff unfortunately happens. But she goes, after the six months, so it's not like if you want to get that thing where it's like that Steve Martin movie where you get like a whole new identity and they move you out into the suburbs and you're hanging out with Rick Moranis, that's only available for like high-level you guys are all trying to remember the name of that movie like I am. That's for like high level witnesses. If you witness a murder, like you're just going about your business and you see a gang shoot somebody and then you tell the police, they may put you in a safe house for a short period of time. They're not going to be like, I hope you like Rick Moranis. And you're like, no, no, he's so irritating. It's just temporary, right? It's temporary. So that also tracks most people who get the full identity and the new job and all that stuff, they're high-level, high-level witnesses for ongoing trials and things like that. So that does make sense. She is kidnapped. She has to testify all this stuff, and they put her in safe house for six months. And she says, after I've been released from the safe house, I've been gang-stalked. Pro- uh, probably, right? Probably. She's testifying against these people. They probably are looking for her, but we're going to go down this interesting descent into her mindset first off she says that okay so the gang is probably looking for her right she's testifying against people who kidnapped her they probably are looking for her but then she goes into this normal gang stalking mentality she says first off someone's poisoning my water someone's making my water toxic and it's not just drinking water that'd be bad enough right that's normally where you would put poison They're actually poisoning all of the water in her house. When she showers, when she cooks, it's all bad. It's all bad. So even if she's like, well, I'm just going to drink bottled water, she still has to take a shower. She still has to cook. Her hair, she said, used to go down to her waist, and now it is breaking off. It's falling out. She's slowly going bald. She also says when she gets water on her skin, it burns her skin. That rust will appear within days. The pipes will very quickly become rusty. And it's not just that. I mean, that's bad enough, right? Living in a place with poison water, one of the few things you need to have to live. She also has a hard time breathing in her house. She believes that they're pumping also poison into the air. She says that everywhere around her, there's this orange-black speckled dust. Her idea is this. She's now no longer in the safe house. She's now in her own house trying to make it safe. And there is someone on the outside, or a group of people on the outside, gang stalkers, trying to lure her out, trying to get her out of her house. So they're slowly poisoning the air and the water to get her to leave. I mean, again, they generally, I've seen a couple documentaries. I saw the Taken series of documentaries starring Liam Neeson. They come into your house, right? They're not generally gangs aren't super, super 
subtle, right? That's why they control the territory they do. I don't know how much access the Bloods have to chemical agents that can poison the air and water. But they're doing that. They're poisoning the house slowly, which is a typical gang-stalking mentality, right? This is over time versus just kicking in her door. I don't mean to be horrible about this, but just kicking in her door and dragging her out, which is generally what would happen. And this is where the story takes another really kind of dark turn. Is And we see this. We covered this again on the Targ the Target. We did the episode not too long ago. I'll put this episode in the show notes, the Gangstalker comic book. This is affecting their pets. That seems to be a really common thing with Gangstalkers, is their pets also get affected. She said, not only is my own hair falling out, my dog's fur is falling off. And he's getting really sick. He has these sores and these cuts. He struggles to walk around the house. And she's looking at her dog. She's looking at herself. She knows, unlike a lot of gang stalking people, she knows that she has made enemies. 100%. Because she can put a face and a name to these things. But all of this technology they're using just isn't normal gang tactics. She says she she's not an she's not just like stuck in the house. She does have friends and family and stuff like that. She says that she can tell whether or not her friends are in on the gang stalking. Because if she talks to her friends and they seemed shocked or scared when she talks about it, they're like, oh my god, that's awful. That's totally awful. Your water's poison as you're at her house. This is poison? She's like, Yeah, and you're like, what did you get it for me? Why'd you get it for me? As your glass is disintegrating. But if they tell her, hey, you know. Alice, what you're saying, I I don't want to say it's crazy because you're my friend, but if you weren't my friend, I would tell you you were crazy. And I think that you should probably see a doctor. They're in on it. If they show any concern for her or try to talk to her about mental health, they're in on it. And she wrote this post. She wrote this post and she titled it. This was written back in 2019. She titled this post... Please, somebody help. I am being gang-stalked, poisoned, gassed, fumigated, harassed, slandered, and I'm about to be murdered or silenced. That, That last part is probably true, right? That's what's terrifying about this story. This last part is probably true. Now, we don't know who kidnapped her. She never states that. But she does give us a bit of a hint. And this hint just takes us into the creepiest possible. I mean, think about who you would want to get kidnapped by, right? If you had to choose your kidnapper, right? If you had to choose, you can't choose like the Marshmallow Man or something like that. You're eating your handcuffs, nom, 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 and then you're eating him. No, that doesn't count. Imagine out of all the real kidnapping groups out there, who would you want to be kidnapped by? This is what they wrote. They don't say exactly why um, they got kidnapped. But it seems to be that she thinks her gang stalkers, so these might have been the people who kidnapped her, have a foot in the world of black magic. Have a foot in the world of the dark arts. She posted on a thread called, Anyone else dealing... This is also in the gang stalking subreddit. She didn't start this post. She didn't start this post, but she uh, added on to this. She commented on this. 
But here's the post title, quote, Anyone else dealing with cults, black magic, along with their gang stalking, and all the other BS we targeted individuals deal with on a daily basis? And what Alice's comment on this is that, yeah, she does have some experience with that. She felt that she was being set up to be ritualistically sacrificed. That post was in 2019. She has never posted since. So this is a story that I do feel, I don't, I don't think that whoever was stalking her was poisoning her or changing the water supply or stuff like that. But I do think someone was probably after her. And that's what makes this one terrifying. I think someone probably was after her. And I mean, there's a lot of reasons people stop posting stuff online. You know, no internet access, forgetting your username and password. You know, that stuff can be remedied. You can go to McDonald's, you can do a password reset. Sometimes just moving on with their life, sometimes getting the mental health they need. Sometimes it could have been fake, a little joke someone was running and they got tired of the joke, they got tired of the trolling and moved on. Those are all really realistic ways people stop posting online. But there's two other ways. That can stop you from posting online. Getting kidnapped. And getting murdered. So is this a story that stands in between those two? The actual gang stalking that happens? When the police or the government, because you're like a rival spy, the government's looking after you. The police suspect you in a crime. The mob, some gang, thinks that you owe them money or you do owe them money. That's real-life gang stalking. That happens every single day. And then we have the gang stalking where radiation is being pumped through your walls. And every time you buy milk, it's the same expiration. It's always one day before the expiration date. You can't figure out every time you grab milk. That's, that's a mental illness type of gang stalking. Plus, check the milk before you get home. I'd recommend that too. But... That's where you start to take all these little things and weave this web. This story falls right in between the two. She probably was being gangstalked. People probably were really after her. And the stress and the tension from that may have caused her to go insane and begin to tie all these unrelated events together and craft this story. And while she was seeking solace in the gangstalking community, the actual gang that was stalking her was waiting for the right time to make their move. Terrifying story from the world of gang stalking. Nathaniel, go ahead and pet that puppy. I hope that dog is doing okay. I hope Alice is doing okay. I hope maybe it was just a troll or she did get some mental help. Realized that Reddit is nothing but the biggest cesspool on the internet. Never posted there again. Nathaniel, go ahead. Let's toss you the keys to the Carboner Copter. We are leaving behind this house. We are headed all the way out to Kamloops, British Columbia. It's May 2000, and we're at Jacko Lake. Jacko Lake is this body of water. I think you guys know what a lake is, right? There's one of you going like, huh? What's a lake? Jacko Lake is a body of water surrounded by all sides, by land. It's small, smaller than an ocean. And Jacko Lake is near Kamloops, British Columbia. Nathaniel's landed the carpenter copter we're getting out. We have on our little fishing vests. 
little little shorts, little fishing shorts, little fishing shoes, apparently. I'm sure they have special footwear for fighting fish. And we're there to join two buddies who are currently fishing. Their names are Philip and Jerry. We're waving to them, and they're waving back. And Philip's like, do you know who those weirdos are with those fish shoes? And Jerry goes, I have no idea. I thought you invited them. Philip and Jerry, this is their after-work activity. They go out to the lake. They throw metal barbs into the water and hope to catch fish. And they need them. They take their boat down the boat launch. Fire up the boat engine. And start driving over the lake. And they're just sitting back. See an eagle fly by. (laughs) That kind of sounds like a crow. That's weird. And then a loon lands in the water. Loon. Loon. Making that world-famous loon sound. But for the most part, it's just crystal clear, still water. There's a couple other boats on Jacko Lake at this point, but they're starting to pull in. It's getting late. They've already... They're already super confused. They're like, that eagle sounded like a crow. They're really messing with my head. Their boats are starting to go back to the launch. But Philip and Jerry, man, they're just getting started. They're out there fishing until they're the last dudes on the lake. But now it's definitely getting too dark. And hey, Philip, let's go ahead and bring this boat back to the launch and walk on land. (laughs) That's the official thing you're supposed to say whenever you're done fishing. You didn't know that? Learn something new every day. So as the boat is headed back to the launch, they're about 20 feet from the shore, and they see a light. This story's so insane. This story's so insane. They see a light appear in the sky. You're not really thinking anything of it, right? It's a tiny little light. At first, they think it's a satellite, but as their boat is getting closer to the shore, they kind of look at each other. It's unusual. It caught both of their eyes. All four of their eyes, I mean. (laughs) They've caught both of their eyeballs. All four. Anyways... The boat's coming closer to the launch, and they see this light appear in the sky, and they're they just kind of thinking to themselves, oh, what, that just must be a satellite. That's kind of cool. They realize that it's too big to be a satellite. It's too low to be a satellite. And then they see another smaller light rise up above the tree line and then enter the first light. Philip says, did you see that? Both dudes are starting to freak out. They're not like totally not jumping overboard yet. Yet. But it's unusual. They didn't expect to see that. They definitely know it's not a satellite. They don't know what it was. It was so unusual and so bizarre that it does unnerve both of them. So Philip's like, let's just get back to the truck, right? Well, Jerry starts kind of bust, starts kind of busting donuts in the water. And Philip's like, dude, what are you doing? What are you doing? And Jerry's just kind of like. Try, he's like trying to get the boat perfectly angled to the launch. And Philip's like, just go, dude. Just go. Please, I want to get off this lake. And Jerry then guns the engine. Wing, and that motor is spinning underneath the water. And that boat is just gliding towards the shore. And then Philip's like, finally, I can't wait to get to my truck. But then he feels the boat start to slow down. He looks back, and Jerry has throttled off the engine. Philip turns back to Jerry. He's like, dude, what's going on, man? (laughs) You got one job right now to get us to the boat launch. Philip looks back to Jerry, and Jerry has this just shocked look on his face. And Jerry goes, look at the birds. Look at the birds. Throughout the day, they had seen an eagle. They'd seen a loon. 
maybe a sparrow flying around somewhere. Jacko Lake is not a place known for its avian wildlife, but as Philip is looking at his buddy, and his buddy's talking about, look at the birds, look at the birds, Philip looks out over Jacko Lake. The lake is covered in thousands of birds, just perfectly sitting there in the water. Ducks, loons, Philip couldn't tell what they were. He says it was thousands of birds just sitting in the water. So many that they could not pilot the boat through them. But they didn't move. They didn't make a sound. They just floated there in the water. You're in a boat surrounded by thousands of silent birds. (laughs) Really the loudest birds around, right? Ducks and loons, and they're just floating there in the water. You know something's bad. (laughs) You know know something really bad is going to happen at this point. At the very least, it's going to be like an earthquake's coming, and that's why all the animals are acting weird. You want to get off that lake. But at the most, you got bright lights in the sky, and now you are seeing something that is impossible. There's not even this many birds in this area. Philip tells Jerry, dude, like, he can understand. He can understand you don't want to run over 50 ducks to get to your boat launch. But he says, dude, just go, just gun it. They'll move. They're birds, right? They have various ways. They can go underwater. They can fly away. They can swim. Just get out of here. Just gun it and get us through these The next thing Philip remembers is he's being hit in the face with branches. The boat is right next to the boat launch. And it didn't he didn't hit his target despite all of his angling earlier. Philip's face is getting hit with tree branches. He's like coming up to the boat launch but it's too close to the shore and the tree is like scratching up Philip's face. Philip, he doesn't know how he got there. He doesn't care. It's time to get out of here. And they start bringing the boat up to the shore. And Philip's like, dude, I'm just out of here. Let's just go. Let's go. And Jerry's starting to like unload gear from the boat and like walk it over to the truck and like put in the truck and go back to the boat. And Philip's like, dude, please stop. (laughs) I don't know what's going on here. I have no idea what just happened in the last few seconds. Where are the birds? They're gone. Let's leave. And Jerry's like, but we got to unpack all of our gear. Philip's like, leave it here. And then Jerry is walking to the truck and he sees Philip unpacking stuff from the boat and carrying it up to the truck. And Jerry's like, dude, what are you doing? And Philip's like, we got to unload this gear, man. We cannot leave this boat here. And Jerry's like, dude, I don't know what just happened. I was piloting the boat. All the birds are gone. Let's get in the truck. And Philip's like, dude, we have to unload this stuff. And then Philip's getting in his car. He's so pissed off that Jerry's not doing what he's saying. He turns around, Jerry is still unloading the boat. And Philip is Philip is losing it at this point. He's like, Jerry, you got to snap out of it. Something really weird is going on. Leave it behind. Jerry and Philip kept changing what they were doing. That wasn't, a, that wasn't an editing error on my part. Philip was angry Jerry wasn't moving fast enough, that Jerry was unloading stuff. And then... It reversed. Jerry was mad that Philip was taking his time unloading the stuff. They kept going back and forth. They kept switching positions, switching opinions. 
And while this is going on, while they keep going back and forth, trying to figure out, like, who's who's the guy slowing them down? Both of them, really. There's some weird time warp or personality warp or who even knows how to describe that. While that is going on, all of a sudden, Jerry just freezes and says, stay nearby. Don't let them take me. Philip's just staring at Jerry and can see this terrified look on Jerry's face. And then... Jerry says, this is an actual quote, don't, don't look up, because they'll know what you're thinking. Philip, just out of instinct, looks up. He looks up at the night sky, but sees no stars. They are standing underneath darkness the only thing that philip can see when he gazes upwards is a light the size of a pencil eraser a little yellow light flashing on and off They leave. <laughs> At this point, they're completely panicked. They hop in the truck. They're gone. It's a fascinating UFO story. I got it from a website that we just discovered. We've already covered a, quite a few stories from them. UFOBC.ca. They're all about British Columbia and Western Canada UFO stories. Very, very good stuff. And I gotta give a shout out to Godzilla1982 who brought this story to my attention. Thank you, Godzilla. Fascinating UFO story. And this is one of those prime stories where you would want the witnesses to undergo some sort of hypnotic regression. But if this was me, if I was an experiencer in this, I don't think I'd want to know. This is it's such an interesting UFO story because it's so overwhelming. And it is alien. We had a story earlier this week where the aliens were having a shootout with the cops. Down in South America. Really cool story. I love that one. And we get a lot of UFO stories like that. I mean, I wish there was more where we were shooting at aliens and aliens were blowing up horses. That's not super usual. But a lot of times aliens interact with humans on human levels. They talk about religion. They talk about world peace. We're brought aboard their UFOs and we see how they work. There's like steering wheels and pedals and monitors that look like old television sets. And while all that stuff is well and good, stories like this remind us of the alien aspect of aliens and their level of power over mankind. The ability to cause hallucinations on this level is terrifying. Absolutely terrifying. To think that you would be... Because this is what we all think, right? If you were in the woods or you were in your house and something creepy happened, you would say, well, I would just leave. I would run out. If a gray alien appeared in my bedroom, I would take a swing at it with a baseball bat. I'd keep by my bedstand. If I was in the woods and I saw something eerie, I would load up my gun and just fire blindly into the woods. We'd have these ideas, but that's not how it would work. We've covered a lot of stories. I don't even know if I'd be able to find them in the show notes, but where people have pulled guns on aliens and the trigger won't pull, 
Or people, this is even weirder, people will pull guns on aliens and they won't pull the trigger. They'll say, I, I saw this unusual creature and I pulled my gun out and I could not pull the trigger. I could not make that simple little motion that I would made thousands of times before practicing with my handgun on my rifle. I couldn't do it. Not because it looked so cute, not because it looked like Gizmo. I physically couldn't do it. And this is that same type of thing. Like, whatever your idea was when you're in a dangerous situation, if I'm, be, if I'm being pursued by a gang of humans, I would know what I would do. I would trick them all to come into a restaurant. I saw this on Under Siege. And I would build a bomb in a microwave. And then I'd make sure that they all stood in one room for five minutes until the microwave went, ding, blow them all up, and I'd walk away in slow motion. But with aliens, I mean, like, that's totally realistic, right? With aliens... You don't know what you're facing. They were ready to go, and they saw they it was they hallucinated. They saw thousands of ducks or thousands of loons or whatever. They couldn't even identify the bird, which again is alien, right? The alien would just create the image of a animal, and the alien may not be familiar with Earth wildlife. So it's just like, here's what a bird would look like. But it's the alien interpretation of the bird. They, they did not know what these birds were. But they didn't move. They didn't make sound. It was a, an illusion. And that stopped them from getting away. That slowed them down. Enough, right? Now, this story doesn't really make any mention of lost time, which is a big thing about alien abductions. But I think when you're, again, talking about aliens, lost time or no lost time... They can take you, and I, I believe this, they can take you, abduct you, and if they drop you off five hours later, I personally think that's a malfunction in the technology. Because we have story after story of people getting dropped off in the wrong location. We covered a story the other day about a guy getting dropped off in his neighbor's apartment with no clothes on after the aliens abducted him. I think that they could abduct you, do five hours of experiments, and then drop you back on Earth, and you didn't even know you were gone. For As far as you knew, you were gone for five minutes. I think the idea of time, loss of time, is a malfunction. I think it's a bug, not a feature. I think they care so little about earthly time and earthly space that, you know, if we keep you, you're driving down the road, and then you look at your clock, and two hours had passed, you're like, whoa, what happened the last two hours? I don't think it's because they kept you for two hours. I think it's because they kept you for six hours. And they only put you back two hours. That's my personal theory. I think that their technology is that advanced. So the fact that there, there's no mention of lost time in this, they're in their boat. The next thing they know, they're on the, the land or they're a short, they're short distance from the boat launch. Terrifying. That level of power to make a mass hallucination, that slows you down enough. Imagine if you were trying to outrun something in the woods and like you hear a baby cry, you're like, no, no, that's a hallucination. Baby, just crying in the woods. I'm going to keep running. And then you hear like a little fox going, and you're like, oh, I'll save you later, fox. <laughs> that might be real because there are foxes in the woods. That might be real. And then you're running, and then you come, and there's a 800-foot drop in front of you, and you slow down. Whoa, 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 whoa. And you may know mentally that there's no cliff in this area, but your animal instinct kicks over, and you stop. And then the next thing you know, you're just standing in the woods. Like, that's what this would be. It's just something that would stop you. It was a physical barrier. It wasn't just that they saw a bunch of birds behind them. That would just be kind of cool. The birds slowed them down enough. And then the whole idea of their personalities switching back and forth. The, not necessarily their personalities, but their attitudes towards getting out of here. 
fascinating level of alien technology in this story. And again, it takes away. What's the one thing gamers hate in all video games when you lose control of your character? You get bonked on the head with something and all of a sudden your controls are backwards. Gamers hate it so much they stop including it in video games. It was super irritating. That's That was the real life equivalent of this. You They had no control over themselves. And they would argue with someone and say, we have to go, we have to go, and you're getting mad at them for doing something. And the next thing you know, actually, you're not even aware of it. Then all of a sudden, you're doing that thing, and you think it's totally rational. And the dude's like, dude, what are you doing? Just leave the stuff here, just leave the stuff there. And the fact that they're, they were losing control of themselves. In a rational way. It's not like they were playing the bongos or anything like that. They were trying to do what you would do in a normal situation. Load up your truck. But one, it was almost like once the argument may have started to take effect. Like once Jerry was like, yeah, you're right. Maybe we should just go. It flip-flopped. Now, Philip was the one arguing. What was even going on with that absolutely fascinating UFO story? And very obscure. I had never heard of this story until probably about a month ago I came across it. It happened in May of 2000. It's called The Incident at Jacko Lake. A terrifying reminder of the true power of the aliens that also inhabit our reality. You may think you can outrun them. You may think you can outgun them. But can you? And if the aliens have the ability to create such mass hallucinations, we talk so much about Project Bluebeam, where humanity, the secret cabal, will make Holograms of UFOs invading, and that'll be a pretense to create a one-world government. I did a whole episode on that. I'll put that in the show notes. But we always talk about humans creating holograms of UFOs. Who's not to say is the aliens finally decide to do a full invasion? We don't even know what's going on. They are masters of reality. And they show that time and time again. And this is the perfect story that has all of the creepiest examples of that. They are masters of reality. And if this technology is any hint at what they are truly capable of, they will soon be humanity's masters as well. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. TikTok is at deadrabbitradio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day. I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys. Have you heard about the 2018 study that showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? No? Well, now you have. I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual, a company making traceability the new standard in the supplement industry. I remember staring at my prenatal vitamins and finding all these things I was trying to avoid. High amounts of heavy metals, synthetic colorants, and unnecessary ingredients. So... At four months pregnant, I quit my job and started Ritual because I believe that all women deserve to know what they're putting in their bodies and why. I'm so proud of our prenatal vitamin. The ingredients are 100% traceable. It's third-party tested for microbes and heavy metals and recently received the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. You see, we trace like a mother because, let's be honest, no one cares quite like a mother. But don't just take my word for it. Trace for yourself. 
with 25% off at ritual.com slash prenatal.